teaching in the second epistle of Peter. Today, we're going to wrap it up and finish in chapter three. But before we get into all of that, the last time we were here, we were in chapter two, as Peter was warning the Christians in his time, which is relevant to Christians in our time, about the rise of false teachers. And this is inclusive of what we would call false prophets, false teachers, all of that basically works one in the same. And so Peter was simply saying that in chapter two, that as there were false prophets in the days of old, there will also be false teachers in our present time. And these false teachers will deceive a great number of people, but the, the nature of their deception will be based upon sensuality. That is, that which is uh, an appeal to the flesh. When I say appeal to the flesh, it not only means sexual immorality, this is definitely included in that idea, but also the motivations that come from within, the motivations that come from an individual mind and heart that is not seeking to please Christ and God. This is the flesh, things that uh, uh, help you and build you up in that sense apart from Christ, apart from the word of the Lord, apart from that looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And so these false teachers would speak to such things. You know, we see that all the time. You hear me talk about this in the last video, uh, word of faith and even not just the word of faith only, but any so-called pastor, teacher or whatever teaching about how you can be blessed and health and wealth and all of this type of foolishness in our time. And the scriptures teach plainly that we look forward to the future. Our hope is revealed in the coming of Christ, our hope of true blessing, but nevertheless. So all of these false teachers will come and they end up exploiting people because of all of the sensual desires that are actually within the peoples themselves and also that which is present in these false teachers. And then Peter goes on in a number of descriptors and talking about those false prophets to the which I will not get into, but the bottom line, Peter calls them waters. He calls them a, a wells of water without water, <laughs> clouds without water. And so that is, these are people who you would think would know things and people who would have the knowledge of God and per se be able to impart this knowledge to others. But in reality, they themselves are devoid of the knowledge of God simply because they are devoid of the saving grace of God himself. But anyway, so he calls them clouds without waters and all of these particular type things who in the end themselves will be judged. And Peter talked about this judgment, uh, the idea of judgment with Noah the, during the times of Noah, angels themselves, the idea of judgment with respect to the times of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, and that homosexuality and all of those things that were in that particular time. So these false teachers will be judged, but nevertheless, his whole tenor, the idea theme, purpose of the letter is to be on guard against all of these false teachers. And in the end, these false teachers will, 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 number one, they did not fall away from Christ. But what he literally meant when he talked about this issue, and this is at the last part, when he dealt with, dealt with the point of, of the dog returns to his vomit and the pig that was once washed to the wallowing in the mire, 
that is, these false teachers received a knowledge of what it is to be saved, that Jesus Christ is the only and perfect way unto salvation. Believing in the person, Jesus is God. Also, Jesus is the Christ, the man who died for our sins. He lived that righteous life that is uh, accounted to our account. And, and God resurrected him from the dead. This faith in Jesus alone, this is the knowledge that allows one to escape judgment, but nevertheless, such a knowledge with these false teachers, remember that's the whole idea, is superficial. And so therefore, it does not result in a change of conduct. And this is what Peter was talking about in chapter one, that change of conduct, that righteous life, holy and godly living, that is the evidence that one has a true knowledge of the save, of, of uh, the saving grace of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you truly have a knowledge, truly have been saved, this will be evidenced in how you live your everyday life. But these false teachers lacking this evidence of godliness, the greed, the sexual immorality, the sensuality, the idolatry. And when I say the idolatry, I'm not talking about worshiping gods of stone, but they don't have the true understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Peter talked about also in chapter one, but the idolatry in the serving of the self, self becomes God. But these false teachers having this knowledge is only superficial because it did not result in a saving grace. If it was true saving grace, they would live in a way that pleases God. But he says, it's just like the old proverb says, having the knowledge doesn't save you. So what happened? The dog, what happens? He threw up that ungodly stuff. He threw up that food that made him sick. But in the end, he returned back to his vomit and the pig, even though one time was washed from all of this uncleanness by the word of God, by the knowledge of the word of God, dog, pig being washed by the word of God still goes right back to the mud. And why? This is to no surprise. Why? Because the nature of the animal has not changed. The dog is still a dog. A pig is still a pig. So dogs will do what dogs do and pigs will do what pigs do. Dogs go back and eat ungodly uh, stuff that make you vomit. <laughs> That's what he literally said. Peace, go right back to wallowing in the mud. Why? Because that's the nature of the creature. These false teachers have never been saved, so therefore they return back to their way of living, even though they do this in a deceptive way. And so now let's continue on into the third chapter of Peter. And with this, uh, we should be able to cover all of this and complete Peter's letter. Verse one, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Okay, so let's deal with that. Let me move my screen a little bit here first. Dot, and move my Greek text here. All right. So now Peter says, he gets into, he's already dealt with the purpose theme to the which he was writing of this particular letter. And that is to warn them of false teachers. And he dealt with that. He opened it up in chapter one, if you can recall, in talking about 
You have a true knowledge. You, the people that I'm writing to, says Peter, you have a true knowledge. Unlike these false teachers, false prophets, they don't have a true knowledge. They're just claiming these things. But you do. And this true knowledge that you have is evidenced in godly living, love of the brother, and keeping yourself clean and unspotted from the filth of this world. This is the evidence that, and, and, and this is the evidence that you have true knowledge, that you have true saving knowledge, but don't stop there. Give it all that you got, chapter one, and, but chapter two. But these false prophets, they don't know. They, and it's evidence, even though they claim that they know, it's evidence that they don't know because of the way that they live. And so therefore you can see in their lives that they are still dogs and pigs. That's the end of chapter two. But he says here now, so I'm writing to you, beloved, the second letter, referring to what? He, already written, he had already written to them a first letter. We know that's the first epistle of Peter. And so he wants him, he wants to remind them. He wants to bring it to their remembrance, to stir their minds up. And it's almost in a sense of like, not only just teaching, but you can always sometimes call it like preaching in a way, because I want you to remember these things. But the point is, Peter is saying, I want you to remember that I have told you what? That false teachers will come and I want you to know that, that what they will do, their demeanor, what they will say about their false doctrine and their overall lostness. So I'm writing to you so that you will be aware this will happen. All right. And then I want you to remember, he says, the word that was spoken by the holy prophets, that is the prophets of old as well as the New Testament prophets. Okay. But even namely, or should I even say specifically, especially Old Testament prophets, because what Peter is going to get into, that thing that he wants them to remember is the destruction of this world and the coming of a new world. And this was spoken of by Old Testament prophets, that there will be a new world and the destruction of this old world order. OK, so this which was spoken of by the holy prophets as well as by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Verse number three, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when, okay, let's stop there. So he says, okay, this is what I want you to remember, that in the last days, mockers will come and they will be mocking. So let's just deal with it one point at a time. And these are people who jest and make fun of and ridicule the Christian people. They ridicule Christian people. They ridicule Christian beliefs. And one belief in particular they are ridiculing and that is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the judgment of the ungodly. Now, we're going to talk about that uh, specifically as Peter works that out. But the point is, they're going to be saying, oh, you've been saying that Jesus is coming back. Jesus has not come back. It's been over 2000 years since the birth, the, the death and burial and, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension into heaven. But never. And I'm speaking from the point of our time. But nevertheless, Jesus has not returned, like you said, and notice the reason it says, following after their own lusts. 
What is it that motivates them? It is their own misunderstanding of the scriptures, but such a misunderstanding of the scriptures come because of their own sinful desires. You see, the reason why sinful people do not want or do not desire to believe in the coming of Jesus Christ and they don't want to believe in a judgment day. They want to believe that once you're dead in this life, that's the end of that. There is no judgment. There is no resurrection from the dead. There is no eternal punishment. Why is it? Because they want to live their lives according to their own wishes. They want to live in sin and they don't want to pay any kind of future penalty for sin. So therefore, they reject all of these teachings about a coming of Jesus Christ and a future judgment so that they can live in their own sinfulness, sexual immorality, homosexuality, the lies, the thefts, the killings, the murders, on and on and on in whatever sin you want to talk about. And to believe that having lived the life of this type of debauchery, there will be no answer from God according to their own luck. So they desire it not to be a day of judgment. But let's go back to the text. So he was saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that is from long ago, even the ancient fathers, that is what fathers, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers that we read about in the Old Testament, from our present day perspective, from our present day perspective, even from the time of Paul, the apostle, Peter, who is writing this particular epistle, and all of the apostles, the saints that we read about in the Bible, even now it has been displaced 2,000 years. Where is the where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep and even now for since the apostles and the elders from long ago who wrote our New Testament fell asleep? The world continues as it always has. Jesus still has not come. And this is the nature of their mockery saying that what you keep saying that one day Jesus will return and he ain't returned yet. And all of these people that we've read about long ago, they are dead and gone. And still, from our present perspective, 2,000 years and still the Lord Jesus that you guys been talking about, been trying to make us be so afraid of, he ain't come back yet. So this is the mockery. All right. So let's go to verse number five. So he continues on. For when they maintain this. It escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So again, Peter gives an example of judgment. And, and this, and this kind of goes back to what he was saying in chapter two about the judgment of the false teachers. And that was, remember what he said in chapter two? He says, you can rest assured of the judgment of these false teachers because God has displayed that he, will, he has judged once before. 
He judged once in the days of Noah and the angels were judged. Noah and his family were saved. He judged once again in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains were judged and Lot was kept. Lot was preserved. So he gives the similarity of this same thing that these false teachers, these false teachers are mocking saying there is no return of Jesus Christ and there will be no judgment. Why? God has been doing for it's been this world has been going on for a long time. And it seems to say it seems to suggest what they're saying is and this world will continue to exist. This great judgment that you're talking about will not happen. And, and, and Peter is saying again, but they forget God has proven himself righteous in that what he has judged once before. Now, the language is kind of thick in verse number five, but let's just go through it so that you can understand exactly what Peter is saying. While they're in where they are insisting that there will be no judgment and no destruction. Right. He says they have forgotten what it escapes their notice by the word of God. The heavens existed long ago. Now, Peter is referring back to Genesis one and one and one and two, one and one and one and two. Now, go back. I did a whole teaching on the book of Genesis. Go back and look at that. And that'll uh, give all of the details that we need to uh, fill in, uh, uh, fill in that we don't have time to fill in in this particular video teaching. OK, about what happened in the original and perfect creation. Verse number one. And then verse number two, we find out that that original creation was was marred and destroyed. And this is what Peter is talking about. Again, looking at verse number five, the, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. Genesis one and one and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Verse number two. And we can see that continuing on in, in verse number three with the rest of the creation. But notice he's talking about a world, perfect order. Then what happened? The world found itself covered up, enveloped in water. That is the waters of judgment. But what happened? God began to create, recreate, reform the world once again. The earth being covered in water, being covered in water, was reformed once again. That's when we get to Genesis 2 and 3. The earth was formed out of water by water. That's what he means. But what happened, verse number 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But once again, what? That world was destroyed. That creation was destroyed. And what he's referring to here is the world that was destroyed by, uh, I'm sorry, not by Noah, but during the times of Noah. So again, he is reflecting back to the judgment of God under Noah. So what is he saying? The false teachers who will be mocking with respect to the judgment that Christian people are expecting and in their return, see, it is about the return of Jesus Christ. The hope of Christians is the return of Jesus Christ. But in this hope or in this return of Jesus will also be ultimately, it ultimately will bring judgment. Okay. All right. I'm kind of wondering, should I talk about that? But 
Let me just simply say it this way so we don't want to get into all of the prophecies concerning these things. In the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the age, which is at the end of the millennial kingdom, after the reign of Jesus for 1000 years, the world will be destroyed. This is the ultimate destruction of the world. And this is what Peter is referring to. But the context here where we are now is Peter is giving an example once again that even though they are mocking us and they are mocking us dealing with the return of Jesus and the ultimate destruction of the world, he said, and they're saying, ain't no world going to be destroyed. The world keeps going as it was. And Peter is saying, but that is not true. The world was as God reformed it once again out of water, Genesis 1 and 2. And that world that God formed was itself destroyed by water. That's Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. We understand that this is the destruction of the world system during the time of Noah. Peter is saying they forgot God destro destroyed the world or judged the world once before. And if God judged the world, whole world once before, God is going to judge the whole world again. And they forgot that. And that's Peter's point. But let's go on back to the text. But he says in verse number seven, but by his word, that is by the same word of God, the word of God that created the world in the beginning, that formed it out of the waters, caused the waters to recede and the dry land to appear and all of the acts of God in creation that we read in Genesis chapter one. By the word of God, what? The present heavens and earth. Now, when you talk about the present heavens and earth, that is after the world was destroyed during the times of Noah, this is that present heavens and earth that he's existing now, referring to this present world system that exists, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So he says, the world that exists now, after the destruction by the days of Noah, because after God destroyed the entire world, remember in chapter nine, he gave the rainbow, not as a sign for uh, homosexual pride. He did not give the rainbow and his wonderful colors as a sign for homosexual pride. He gave the rainbow as a sign, as a reminder that God, Genesis chapter nine, would never destroy the entire earth by water again. He didn't say he wouldn't destroy the entire world. He just said he would never destroy the entire world by water again. So, and so therefore the earth that continues from the time of Noah, even to this present day, even to the time that Peter is talking about the future destruction of the world system, it will not be destroyed by water, but it God by his word, as he destroyed the world by water, God by his word will destroy this present world by fire. And I would, I, I would even, if I wanted to throw in a little uh, uh, something for you to think about, Imagine how we talk about the stars that are in the sky above and the, 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 the universe and the galaxy. And notice what they say that stars are. 
nothing but boiling gases. They're, they're burning, I'm sorry. Burning gases, huge, some small, some large. And our, our sun is not even considered to be a great or big star. But the point is, it's burning uh, ex extremely hot gases. Imagine how all of the heavens, the stars in the sky, and all of their heat, if God has called, would, would there cause all of that to come upon the earth? What would it do? It would literally incinerate this planet and the universe itself will be incinerated. But that's the idea of what Peter is talking about. The universe, namely, even especially the earth itself, its final destruction will be with incinerating heat. And that's what Peter is saying. Okay. So where am I? And this will be the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. And that is, that's when he refers to the day of judgment. That is the final act of judgment and God ending this creation itself. He ends the creation itself. And in the ending of this creation, there will be the final judgment for all of the ungodly. And this is found in Revelation chapter 20 when the Bible says the, the dead, uh, heaven, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hell gave up his dead, the sea gave up the dead, and all the dead rose and stood before God and were judged all according uh, to, to the lives that they lived and in accordance to their works and those books that were opened up before them and whose every name was not found written in the book of life to the which we understand none of them none of their names will be found written in the book of life why because the bible earlier said i think it's verses four through four four through six in Revelation chapter 20, blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. Why? Because the second death has no power over them. This, as we're speaking of the great judgment day, the white throne judgment, none of their names written because why? This is the second judgment. Okay. This is the second resurrection from the dead. I didn't say that right Not judgment, but second resurrection from the dead. This is the final judgment. So therefore, all of these ones will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone to suffer eternal punishment forever and ever. All right. So this is the day of judgment. And this is what Peter means when he says destruction of ungodly men. He doesn't mean that they're going to cease to exist. God is going to destroy them and cease to exist. He means the time of their punishment and their punishment as the scriptures clearly teach is an eternal punishment in the lake of fire away from the presence of God for all eternity. Okay. Verse number eight. So he says what? But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing to, for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, it is imperative that we understand what Peter is trying to say. But So let's look at it. So what he is saying, he said, okay, the false teachers are saying there ain't no day of judgment coming. The world will, has continued to exist a long time since the death of the fathers, and it's going to continue to exist. All of this coming of Jesus, this judgment day, the destruction of the world that you Christians keep talking about, none of this will happen. But Peter is saying, oh, yes, it will. 
God is going to destroy. He has already proven it as he destroyed the world by water. But next time he's going to destroy the world by fire. And this is why this present earth is is preserved for the destruction by fire. But I say to you, how should you think about it when you consider the attacks of the ungodly saying there won't be a coming of Jesus or there won't be a judgment? There won't be a destruction of this world. How should you think? to fortify your soul and consolate your mind with respect to the longevity. It's been a long time and God still has not come. It's been a long time and Jesus, he's been gone for 2000 years. How should we think? What is the consolation that we should have? And that's what Peter talks about in verse number eight. Verse number eight. He said he wants you to understand how God is with respect to time, even the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what? That one day with the Lord is like a thousand years in human history. So when you consider by virtue, by virtue of the, uh, the, the, the nature of God's existence, the eternal nature, the eternal, see, consume those words. The eternal nature of God, he who is from everlasting to everlasting, one who exists forever. And when you consider time with respect to humanity and how we see under, how we see time, how we experience time and in our lives, what did the Bible say about our lives? Our lives are nothing but a vapor. It's here just like a vapor that goes into the air and a cold day and all of a sudden you exhale, you breathe out in cold day, you exhale and you see that warm air vapor and just for a second and then it's gone. That's how our lives are in comparison to God. What? But in existence of time, a thousand years in our lives is set just like one day to God. So if we have a thousand years to pass, it seems as in the nature of God's existence, it's like one day. So can you imagine that after? So let me put it this way. So we can say now our Lord Jesus has been gone for 2000 years since the day of his ascension. And he promised that he will return. How can we look at that? Peter says, and we can look at it like this. Since Jesus is God, he is the Lord, even here that he's talking about. How long has he been gone? Two days. And is two days a long time? We would say, no, two days ain't no time. So with God, 2,000 years that Jesus has been gone. With him, he says, it's just like it's been two days when we consider the eternal existence of God, how God is in time. All right. So he says, so don't let this bother you that he's been gone a long time because time with God is time with us is not the same as the passage of time with God. It's only been a little time with him. 
He says, what again? What? The Lord is not slow about his promise. That is the promise of his return. Jesus has promised that he, and remember the context is in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will ultimately lead, ultimately lead to the judgment of ungodly men and the destruction of the universe. Okay? So all of that is encompassed in the return of the Lord. It doesn't all happen at the same time. That's why we said earlier, we don't want to get into uh, the prophetic teachings about the return of Jesus. First of all, that would be the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, that is all of the saints dead and the saints that are alive, caught up to be with Jesus in the air, taken into heaven. Then there will be the tribulation that will come with the rise of the Antichrist during a specific period of seven years. And at the end of this particular seven year period, there will be the return of Jesus, Revelation chapter 19, on the clouds of glory with the angels and the saints of God coming down to this world. He will destroy the Antichrist and the false prophet. He will kill them, then resurrect them from the dead and cast them into the lake of fire. Then Jesus will set up his kingdom that we refer to as the millennial kingdom, which will last for 1000 years. But before he sets up the kingdom, he will imprison Satan and his demonic horde into the abyss. And then after the 1000 years, Satan will be released. And then Satan goes out on the breadth of the whole earth. I'm in Revelation chapter 20. And he deceives the Gentile nations, not a single Jew, but the Gentile nations. And they come against the saints of God in who are in Jerusalem. Jesus has gathered all of his people to Jerusalem and the whole world who have been led by Satan come against Jesus to try to break the grips, the fulfillment of Psalm chapter two, the grips of Jesus, the reigning Messiah and God. God from heaven laughs at them and sends a fire to devour them. And there begins the great judgment day. And then the dead in Christ, I'm sorry, not the dead in Christ, but the dead, the unrighteous dead, wherever they may be found, are resurrected. And they then are finally put into the lake of fire and brimstone. And it is at that time when all of creation, this present earth that Peter is talking about, and this present universe, when we look at all the stars in the sky, all of that is burned up in an instance. This is what Peter is talking about. Collectively, in a comative fashion, uh, <laughs> to bring it all together. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, 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 let's get on to it. Uh, where am I, where am I, where am I? The Lord is not slow about his promise. So, God is going to bring about the end just like he says, the end which will lead to the destruction of all things, okay? As, but so God in slow, why? Again, remember, why? If we consider, it's been 2,000 years, so they would say now about the Christian hope. And Peter says, nah, but God has only been two days. He, he ain't slow, he is going to do what he said he will do. God is not slow about his promise. Like some people want to say, God ain't gonna do it. But what? God is giving such an extension of time for us. God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And here's where we need to be very careful about this. God is taking his time 
because he does not desire for any to be lost. We're going to talk about that any, okay? But for that all should come to repentance. So God is taking his time so that the saints of God can find repentance. Because if God comes prematurely, we'll talk about all that. Let me, let me do it this way. And so he's saying God is not coming quickly because of, so that people will have time to repent. All right. Now, let me break the understanding down because here is crucial to understand what Peter is not saying. Peter is not saying that there will be a universal salvation. Notice not wishing for any, excuse me, any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter is not saying universal uh, salvation that in the end, universal salvation simply says that in the end, everybody will be saved. All will come to repentance. That's a misunderstanding what Peter is trying to say. And he's going to kind of elucidate that later on in this very, uh, at the end of the third chapter. All right. He's going to give more light to that. But what he is saying is God is not willing for any to perish. Any of the elect. We're going to talk about that. That remember the elect we've been, if you've been following me for any particular time, especially in the teaching of John, John chapter six. Okay. And even what Peter was talking about in the first chapter, those who are saved. But anyway, the elect are people who have been chosen by God before the world was ever created to be called by his name. They are gifts from God to the Messiah. They are people who will believe the gospel and will uh, 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 come to faith in Jesus Christ and ultimately be saved. They will never be lost. They will never backslide for their names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the world was ever created. They are kept by the sovereign power of God and of Christ. For all eternity, they can never be taken out of Jesus hand. They can never be taken from the father's hand. OK, these are an elect group of people whose names God only knows. Only God knows who it is, who he has determined to save. Throughout all of the age, throughout all of the age, throughout all of the years and years that God has set for this world to exist, those people who will be saved. You got it? So God does not desire for any of those people, those elect to be lost. He allows the time to go to the fullness of that time so that what the very last of the elect will be saved and they will not be lost. And this is what Peter is referring to the any and the all, the any and all of the elect throughout the history of the world will come to a saving knowledge and experience the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be saved. Or let me just give you an example. So watch this. The, in this history that we speak of, the first man to be saved was Adam. Don't y'all and don't ever let nobody tell you anything different. Even though Adam brought sin into this world through his disobedience, 
Nevertheless, Adam and Eve, Adam was saved. First man. And one of, uh, okay, was, let me just say, how do you know Adam was saved, pastor? Do you not read what the Bible said in Genesis chapter three? When God, when Adam tried to make clothing to cover his sin, fig leaves, God himself killed an animal through the blood of that animal. God made a covering for Adam. God covered his sin. God therefore provided redemption for Adam's sin. Adam was saved. So whether it's the first man or even down right now, we call it the year 2023 uh, AD, right? To, to AD uh, or, or after common or, or CE, some people call it common era. But even now, 2023, right? Somebody is saved from, from Adam to save. These are the elect that God has chosen. Their names have been for all of, from that time of Adam all the way through the time. All the way, let's just say for say, let's say, this, for example, let's say in year 2500, God said it's the end. The last soul to be saved in the year 2500 is the any that should perish. God wants all of those people throughout that time that none of them should be lost, but all whom God has chosen should come to repentance and experience the saving grace of God. That's what Peter is talking about. Not universal salvation, not simply everybody, you know, choice. no. Those whom God have chosen, everyone whose name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, in whatever age, in whatever time and period that they live in, they will come to repentance and experience this beautiful uh, saving grace of God. And that's what he's saying. So God is not slow in bringing about the judgment that he has promised. Right. But God is what he is patient to allow his work of salvation to come to complete fulfillment, right? Verse number 10, so he goes on back to the issue of the coming of the Lord Jesus, ultimately culminating in the destruction of the world. Because remember, what were the false teachers saying? The world continues like it always had. There'll never be a judgment. You keep talking about Jesus is coming back and there's gonna be a judgment. Uh, Fooey, fooey. Remember, they will be mocker, mocking you in their mockery. Fooey, I don't believe none of that mess. So now he returns back to the issue of there will be a judgment. 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So now Peter says, he goes back to his point about there will indeed be a destruction of this planet. And not only would there be a destruction of this planet by heat, burned by heat, but there will be a destruction of the entire universe itself. And this is referred to as the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass. Like a thief, that is, he will catch, the day of the Lord will catch the ungodly unaware. Now, Peter is using that term day of the Lord. He's using that in a consummative sense, that is, when I say consummative, 
all-consuming. Wait, okay. The day of the Lord. This what it gets. Uh, this is this comes from this particular terminology. Comes from the prophets of the Old Testament, referring to a period of great judgment that God will bring upon the world before the return of the Messiah, before the advent of the Messiah. And we know this is the second advent. This is the second return of Jesus. And when we read in the prophets themselves, the prophets of the Old Testament, it talks about all of the great destructions that will be coming upon the earth. We see this in particular in the book of Revelation, the sections of whether well, chapter six up into chapter 19. And this is referred to as, as we understand it, the great tribulation. OK, so this is the day of the Lord. All right. The day of the Lord. All of the events that will be taking place for the three and a half year period of the great tribulation, the great tribulation to the which God will be sending judgments to the world. You got it. Now, Peter is looking at this in a concentrated way. Not only this, the great tribulation. The, remember all of that stuff that I just talked about prophetically, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's setting up his kingdom and then with the Satan being bound. And then after the thousand years of Jesus reign, the release of Satan, uh, uh, the final destruction of the wicked, then the final judgment, the judgment day of the wicked. And then they're being cast into hell. See, Peter is bringing all of that into saying what the day of the Lord. So he's thinking of that in a consummative uh, bringing it all together consummative fashion but nevertheless when it does come it catches the ungodly unawares and but the end result is peter saying ultimately that what the earth nevertheless including the universe in its entirety will be destroyed what if the heavens will pass away with a roar not only simply the heavens of our uh, 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 atmosphere that's the, and that's too what Peter is talking about. That's the main idea. As the fire comes to burn the earth, that great fire. But also there's the fires in the heavens. The, when I say the heavens, I mean the starry expanse of the cosmos, of the galaxies. All of that stuff is going to be gone. It will be, and the elements will be destroyed with, once again, intense heat. The earth and everything in this present world will be destroyed. Since all of this will be destroyed, Peter says, now since this is gonna be a great destruction, and in this destruction you can see the anger and judgment of God. It's gonna be a destruction in this manner. He said, now think about this. What sort of people should you be? And notice once again, notice once again where it goes to, in holy conduct, how you live and godliness. How do you think you ought to be living? How do you want to be found of God? What do you want God to say about you? Because God is going to judge sin. God is going to judge the sinner in that day. Therefore, knowing that this day is coming, what kind of person should you be? What kind of life should you live? Reflect on that now. A day is coming. 
How do you want God to judge you? And you stand before God. So once again, the whole point that Peter is trying to bring is, remember, as he talked about in chapter one, even as he talked in his first epistle, remember the whole point of first Peter, the first Peter, the first epistle that Peter wrote, godly living, living godly in an ungodly world, even in times of persecution. When people are mistreating you, living godly. And then what does he do? He opens up the second epistle in chapter one and talked about true knowledge. What is true knowledge? True knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is evidenced in not what you say. It's evidenced in how you live. Do you live in accordance to the word of God? Do you live a life of obedience? Not excuse making. God ain't got no time for nobody's excuse. That's first Peter. But how do you live? Do you obey God? Do you obey the scriptures? Now let's go back to what Peter is trying to say. Peter is saying the world is going to go boom. And God himself, by the word of God, he's going to destroy this thing. Consider how you live. How do you want to live when everything around you is being dissolved? Don't you want to be of God's people? And God's people, Peter's his point, God's people are holy and God's people live godly lives. God's people are obedient. So when the world is being destroyed, you want to be kept in the palms of the hands of God himself. While God is destroying this universe, you want God to envelop you and cover you and keep you from this destruction. And God will only keep the godly, those who live holy lives. God ain't keeping no hypocrites. But let me go on because I almost felt the spirit of preaching. I probably did preach, but I don't care. Looking, he talks about verse number 12, looking for the haste, looking for, that is, we want to live right. We want to live in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus. Looking for his return, knowing that one day God going to bring about a judgment and I want to be in good shape when the judgment comes. Looking for and hastening the coming of of the day of God, looking for and hastening. It's kind of like what John said in the writing of uh, the book of Revelation, his final words. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. I'm looking for the day that you come and you keep all of the promises of God. I'm looking forward to the day when you come and set up your kingdom. You judge the wicked. Matthew chapter 25, but we ain't gonna get into that. You judge the wicked. I'm looking and you setting up your kingdom. I'm looking forward to the thrones. Then I'm looking forward to the final judgment. And I'm looking forward to that eternal kingdom of God. I'm looking forward. And even more so, I'm looking forward to see my Lord's face. I'm looking forward to, to whatever degree. I don't know if I will be able, if the saints of God will we be able to behold the glory of God. I don't know. I don't think so. Something in my mind, Tim, we won't be able to accept some sense of it, a sense of it. I'm looking forward to 
being not only in the presence of God, but in some sense beholding his glory. My God, even the one who took flesh. I'm, I'm looking for, but anyway, enough of that. But nevertheless, you're looking forward to all of that and knowing that one God, one day that God is going to destroy all of creation. And remember, when he says creation, it means all of the stars in the sky and the earth beneath it as well. Everything is going to be destroyed with fervent heat. That okay. So if you wicked, it ain't gonna work well for you in that time. But now Peter begins to put the attention upon the righteous because this is what we want to be in holiness and righteous. Right. So what what are we the saints looking for? Verse number 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Okay, let's stop there because once we get in this stuff about Paul, it'll start getting thick. But again, what does he say? But we as God's people, we as Christians, we are not looking forward to a day of judgment and heat and all of that stuff. No, we are looking forward instead of we are not instead of looking forward to destruction. We are looking forward to life to the which God that's Revelation chapter 21. And he says what I behold a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new earth, there was no more seas. So we are looking forward to when God creates a brand new universe. And we don't know what that universe will look like, but it will be great. We don't know what the new animal kingdom would look like, but it will be magnificent. And in that kingdom, nothing will die. No animal will ever die. No human being will ever die. The nature of that new universe will be one of righteousness. Even where God says in Revelation chapter 20, where the temple of God, where the new Jerusalem of God has even come down to earth and God himself will dwell with men and no unrighteousness will ever enter into that city, into that creation, into the new earth. We look for a new creation, heaven and earth, where there is only righteousness. A lie will never be told. You'll never have to close and lock your doors. Every person will be saved and a saint of God. The angels of God, the righteous redeemed of God, the whole universe will be filled with the glory and the righteousness of God. No more fear, no more death, no more sorrow for God wipes away all tears. I'm going to leave that alone because I started preaching in it. Let me go back to what I'm trying to say. This is the universe that we are looking forward to. And therefore, he says what? So since we are looking forward to this, we need to be diligent. Notice how Peter used that word diligent. 
Again, he, remember he used that in chapter one, diligent, diligence in the sense of trying to live right, living with all your might, all your heart, all your soul in a way that pleases God. So we need to be diligent in how we live now. What diligent to be found spotless and blameless. That is how we live today. I wanna, what did John P. Key say again? I'm living my life just to live again. I want to live in a way that pleases God. And I won't, not that, it's because we live and we get into that kingdom. No, 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 no. Our spotless life is evidence that we have been saved and our lives, we want those lives to be acceptable to Christ and even to God. He says, I'm pleased with how you have lived. But that's what he's trying to say. And then he's trying to say again, referring back to that long time that Jesus has delayed in his return and the coming back and all of those prophetic things that I talked about resulting in the very end of the age, destruction of the universe. Regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. God is just giving time that his plan. Remember what I told you that the elect, those whom God have chosen, whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life before this world and universe was ever created, that all of those throughout the annals of time, all of them should come to salvation. And that's what he's trying to say, that the elect, all of the elect chosen by God will be saved. And he said, and this has been taught by Paul, just as our as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you. So notice what he said. Paul has written letters dealing with the elect. And it's nothing like the letters of Paul when Paul talks about the elect of God. And he really deals with that. We can see for an example, for an example of that Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, when Paul talks about the elect of the Jews, the elect of Israel. The word of God has not failed, Paul says in Romans chapter nine. He says, well, for all that are simply physically Jews, physically Israel, are not true Israel, but what? Those whom God has called. And they ain't gonna get into that. But Paul, even in his letters, has taught concerning election and in that what? God will save by the sovereign will and power of God all those whom God has chosen from eternity past. He will bring them to salvation. And Peter said how Paul has also written even in these letters of his and, and, and oh, no, and those, those things also in his letters, verse number 16. So let me talk about that. Let me read the passage for you. I don't know if I read it or not, but let me read it. Also concerning those letters of Paul in his letters, speaking in them of these things, the elect of God, the salvation of God, the salvation of the elect of God, speaking of them and of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. So let me talk about that within itself. So what does he say? Remember, he's talking about the letters of Paul, but in overall, what? How that God long suffering in his patience, he's not quick to come, 
right? He's going to come, like he says, but he ain't quick to come. Why? Because God will save the elect, the elect, all of his elect people throughout the years of this age, right? And Paul has written about this great salvation of the elect in verse number 16. And he said, Paul writes about this in some manner in all of his letters, but concerning the elect and the salvation of the elect and things to come is not always easy to understand. Speaking of these things, which are some things hard to understand, verse number 16. So Paul's writing of God's salvation of the elect, they ain't always, this concept, and, and I can tell you this is show the truth, amen, it ain't always the easiest thing in the world to understand. It is understandable, but it doesn't mean that it's always easy to understand when you consider God's hand of salvation, how it is God alone who saves and God saves those who have faith in his son alone, not in faith in what they do, not in faith in how they live, but faith in the person and works of Jesus. But these people who do have faith in Jesus, they have a faith that is a gift from God himself. The reason why you, that is a gift from God himself. The reason why you believe is because God has given you faith to believe. Why has God given you faith to believe? Because God has chosen you from the foundation of the world. See, it is the same Paul who speaks of this faith. From, uh, this, th that's what Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians. Paul speaks of the elect of God. We can even see this as we work through the book of Acts, but I ain't going to go there. Those believe, those who believe are those who have been chosen to believe. Sometimes these things can be hard to understand, but notice, especially back to the text, to those who are untaught. Now he's the reference to the false teachers in, uh, the, in our day and that Peter is warning them about. They don't understand it. And we can see how even how in the book of Rome, Romans and also in the book of Galatians and in this misinterpretation, I think also in the book of Colossians, this misinterpretation of the teaching of Paul concerning the elect of God, concerning Paul's teaching of salvation by faith alone, apart from works, apart from anything that you do, shall we continue in sin so that grace can abound? See, because Paul was talking about, I'm in the book of Romans, where Paul was talking about that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this grace, this faith you have, this salvation you have is a gift from God, not of what you do, not of works, so that nobody can boast that they save, that they're saved by what they do. This saving grace that God has given you. So what does he say? So now I'm saved by believing in Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with what I want, right? That's correct. You believe that Jesus is God taking human form. You believe that he lived righteously and his righteous life is put on your account 
so that you can fulfill all righteousness by being in him. You believe that he died for your sins and he was resurrected from the dead. And in his resurrection, this was approval of his life, his works, his blood, his sacrifice before God. God showed approval of this, even demonstrating that Jesus is God, as Paul in Romans chapter one. You believe and that's it. For Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord divine and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, notice those two things, you will be saved. So that's it? Yeah. Wow. So does that live me so I can commit all the adultery I want and the fornicating and lying or be a homo practicing homosexual and a thief? I can do all of that because all I got to do is believe in Jesus, right? Paul says, shall we continue in sin so that the grace that God has given us to that covers all sin can continue to cover sin? God forbid. Notice what Peter's saying. These are untaught. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand the teachings of Paul. They are untaught. First of all, that's what we need. Reason why doing what we're doing by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching. We need to be taught. And problem, what did Peter say? These false teachers, they're trying to teach other folk and they've been taught themselves of the true principles of God and salvation and righteous living, election and all of that. And even concerning the writings of Paul, they have not been taught. And so what do they naturally do? They are untaught and they are unstable. They themselves are untaught. They unstable simply means they don't understand it. And therefore they don't have the, their lives ain't right before God because their understanding is not right. Their, their perception of truth and of scripture ain't right. So they themselves have not been taught. And they themselves concerning their lives are unstable. So therefore, when they teach, whoever listens to them, they will not be taught properly. And their lives will end up being unstable because these very false teachers, untaught, unstable. But what do they do? Because they don't know the scriptures and they don't understand the scriptures properly. And even they mock at the scriptures what they distort the scriptures. They distort as they also do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. They distort the teachings in the Bible. They distort these things, the truth that Jesus, they distort, distort the truth of salvation. They distort the truth of their ears. There is and will be a second coming of Jesus. They distort that. They distort the truth. There will be a rapture. There will be a kingdom taught by the prophets spoken of in the book of Revelation that Jesus will be set up, that Jesus will set up. They distort. There will be a great judgment day. They distort that in the great judgment day, all sinners and ungodly people will be finally cast into the lake of fire to suffer eternal destruction forever. And they distort these things. But even more so, let's go back to the text. They distort even the teachings. Notice, because he was talking about what? The writings of the Apostle Paul. They distort also the rest of the scriptures. And let me say this before I bring that to an end. Notice how Peter considered, even at this early time, 
Peter himself considered at this early time the writings of Paul as scripture. It wasn't later on and took hundreds and hundreds of years for the writings of Paul to be understood as divine scripture equal with the scripture of the Old Testament. Mm -mm. Peter understood the writings of Paul in his time, first century, as equal with the scripture of old. But his whole point is the false teachers, they don't understand it. So they wrestle with the scripture. And in the end, because they don't get it, their so-called teachings is nothing more than a distortion of the truth. And what is the end result? What is the end result to them and their false teachings and even those who follow and are ensnared with their false teachings? What is the end result? Destruction. And that's what his whole point was in that what there will be a coming day of destruction. Okay, let me bring this to an end. Uh, you therefore, verse number 17, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So he says, okay, but you don't get caught up with these false teachers, right? Why? Because I have told you all of this, knowing this beforehand. I've told you all of this ahead of time. I told you about the false teachers. I told you about their false beliefs, the things that they will teach. I've told you how they will misunderstand one of the very foundational elements that will identify them. The person of Christ. He is God made man, died for our sins, and so many other things concerning Christology, the doctrines concerning Jesus Christ. They're going to distort all of that. I've told you about the lives that they will live, ungodly, full of sensuality, motivated by self and greed and not understanding the scriptures. I've told you about all of these things beforehand. So you, verse 17, be on guard, be ever watchful so that you don't listen to them and get carried away. Carried away. What next thing you know, you believe in this foolishness. Mine come to T.D. Jakes, woman thou art loose. And probably some of you guys really enjoy T.D. Jakes, a false prophet. Really enjoyed the woman thou art loose because you saw that as empowering women. Well, the last time I searched my Bible, God ain't in trying to empower nobody. Why? God does not share his glory with anybody, man, woman, or anything else. But everything should be done to the glory of God. For if anybody thinks himself to be something when he is absolutely nothing, Paul in Galatians chapter 6, you have just deceived yourself carried away by these false doctrine, by men who speak so well and there is rod parsley. You're another one of those false prophets. 
give your Isaiah 57, 11 offering in color. And first of all, when Isaiah wrote that, there wasn't no such thing as a chapter and a verse. He's just trying to get money. He's exploiting you. Be on your guard so that you're not carried away by unprincipled men. He talked about those unprincipled men not holding fast to the truth and fall from your own steadfastness. You are, you've been doing good. You started out well. Continue doing well by not listening to the wrong people, listening to the wrong thing. Number one, they are untaught. They are unstable. They are not following the words of truth. They don't understand the doctrines of scripture, no matter what it might be. Pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Election, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. The things that are taught by Paul, but even more so, godly living, living righteously, living holy in a corrupt world. And they ain't concerned about that. But let's get back to the text. So you be on guard against these false teachers so that you don't fall from your own steadfastness. You've been doing well. Don't turn around. What happened? Oh, uh, here is Jackie. Jackie's been saved for five years, but what happened? Oh, she started listening to this new preacher, and he just sounds so good. He just sounds so good. Or he's listening to this, or she, so she, first of all, ain't with all of the she stuff. And she was doing this, and it sounds so good. Oh, you, what happened now? You fell. And then we said, fail from their own steadfastness. He is not talking about a loss of salvation. Now, we're not going to get into the teaching or the doctrine of eternal security. Saints of God, true saints of God, never, ever lose their salvation. But saints of God can fall from their steadfastness. That's what Peter's trying to say. And that is you can get carried away listening to the wrong people. And then your belief system is wrong. You end up messed up. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he'll look at you and say, no, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. Well, what happened? Well, you started listening to Joe Blow and, and all of that other foolishness. You fell from your, stead, your steadfastness. You started well, but you didn't quite end it right. Stay with the truth. Stay with good teachers Solid teachers and a good and a solid teacher will always follow every precept of the word of God. But instead of getting tangled up with all these false teachers, verse number 18, grow in grace, not only in grace, but in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We say Lord, he speaks of the divine nature of Jesus and Savior, the work of Jesus and what he did coming in the flesh, living and dying for our sins, rising from the dead. Grow in grace and in the knowledge. What it, we build on what we have learned. And hopefully you're watching this video because you're, not, you're adding to your knowledge. You are growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't get carried away with false teachers, but grow and stay with the word and be built upon the true knowledge knowledge that comes from scripture alone concerning Jesus and what he does, has done, will do for his people. All right. Finally, guys, we are finished by the grace of the Lord. We finished with chapter three, which brings the close into the second epistle of Peter. 
And in a nutshell, we're not going to review the third chapter. We just look at it as a whole. Peter is simply warning the believers, true Christians, against false teachers who are going to come in the future. And I say false teachers who are here now, because later on we'll find out that Jude will say in the book of Jude, the false teachers that Peter warned about are here. And that's even in the biblical time. OK, so from the biblical time, even until now, even much more today, we have false teachers, false prophets, false apostles and all of that even today. And Peter says they are untaught of the scriptures. They are unstable. But true knowledge of God, Lord Jesus Christ, true saving knowledge is always evidenced in holy living, in godly living, in knowing our God. And ultimately, be warned, there is a judgment that is coming, a judgment that is coming for the false teachers, a judgment that will be coming upon all of creation itself. And they're going to mock that. They're going to mock that. They're going to mock that. They're saying Jesus resurrected from the dead 2,000 years and all of that. He ain't came back yet. And everything's been going on. The world been going just like it's been going on for thousands of years. He said, but I tell you what, don't confuse it. God is different with respect to time. David, God is like a thousand years in man's time. A thousand years can be like a day. God is, time with God is different from man. But God is slow, not bringing about the end, because God has determined that all whom he has chosen from eternity past should come unto salvation throughout the years of this present age. God has determined that all should be saved. He ain't going to lose not a single one. Okay. But knowing that in the end that God is going to do just what he says, God is not slack concerning his promise. He says, you want to be found of God in holiness and righteousness. So therefore I end the letter and saying, be mindful, be on your guard against false teachers. They don't understand the scriptures. They are unstable in all of the scriptures. But you don't follow after them and fall from a good state to which you are. Don't you fall. But I want you, Peter says, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. So that the point is, when Jesus come, he'll say unto you, well done. Okay. All right, guys, let's end this with a preaching Lord, uh, prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you for allowing us to complete this study of the second epistle of Peter. Keep us, Father, we do pray, from error. We can make error ourselves, not understanding the scripture. And even as what Peter is saying here, keep us from the persuasion, the influence, and the error of false teachers. There are so many false teachers. They speak so well. They preach so well, but they error in the things of God. Father, give us discernment. But even more so, as Peter said, even in this epistle, but we have a more sure, sure word, sure prophetic word. That is, keep us in the written word of God. Give us understanding of the written word of God so that we'll be able to distinguish between truth and error. 
thank you for all that you have done. Thank you, Father, for the hearers, believers of your word. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me with all of that. If these teachings have been a blessing to you, there is always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And I am asking you, I'm asking you, come alongside this ministry and to support. And also, I'm going to be opening up a little store. And you'll probably see that in the little stuff that you can buy. You guys know how YouTube stuff works. <laughs> and that you'll be able to use in the little t-shirts, little things that uh, we'll be making available to you. And this will be to support the ministry and also go along with some of the teachings that we'll be bringing. But all of this, I'm just simply asking for your support. And for those of you who have already supported, let me always give you a sincere thanks from the bottom of my heart. But anyway, guys, thank you for joining me. Don't know exactly where we'll be going to next. Possibly maybe Jude, because Jude actually is tied strongly to the teachings of Second Peter. But anyway, God bless however he leads. See you next time.